Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church Podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor Podcast features Sunday sermons. To hear this live and before subscribers do, join us in Rockport, Maine on Sunday mornings at 10 for worship and before that at 845 for prayer service. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Awesome. So, hey, listen, I want to share a simple verse with you today. We'll just start by prayer. Is that all right? It says it's in Isaiah 49. I've been wanting to share this for weeks, but I haven't figured out exactly how to fit it in sermon, so I just fit it in here. So it says, never can a mother forget her nursing child. This is Isaiah 49. It says, can she feel no love for the child she has born? It says, but even if that were possible, listen to what God says, I would not forget you. And then he says, see, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. That's beautiful, right? I have written your name on the palms of my hands. So I just want to pray this morning. Man, listen, we've been talking about being a child of God. We sang it this morning. I'm not so sure outside the gospel message if there's a greater revelation in the kingdom. So I would just encourage all of us just to position our hearts, just to receive and continue to let God uh, renew our minds in this area and grab a hold of his truth. Amen. Because it will change our lives. All right. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for every person that's here today. Lord, we're just so uh, grateful that you love us. God, we're so grateful that even what it says in your word there in Isaiah, God, that you would never forget us. Sometimes, God, in life, it's so easy to feel like we've been forgotten. But the truth is, is, Lord, you've written our names on the palm of your hands. And, Lord, uh, that is amazing. So, Lord, today we just come with a heart of gratitude and a heart of love. Lord, we understand that the kingdom of God is a kingdom where it's a continual transaction of giving and receiving love. And so, Lord, today, as even as we have the opportunity to worship you, God, just to express our love to you, God, even as we listen to your word today, God, that's another expression of giving our love back to you and also receiving from you. And so, Lord, today, we just open up our hearts. We open up our minds to receive from you, God. We believe that we're not here by accident today, but, Lord, you want to change us and you want to just rearrange some things in our hearts. Lord, we reposition ourselves once again, God, to receive your message, to receive your word, to know that we're sons and daughters of God. Holy Spirit, thank you for the anointing today. Come and speak as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you're taking notes this morning, today is part three of our current series that we're in that we've entitled Revealing Sonship. You know, if you haven't been here for a few weeks, I've been trying my best kind of recap some things, but do yourself a favor and go listen to the previous weeks and then the two weeks before that where we really spent some time talking about the, the orphan heart, the orphan spirit, and then we kind of rolled over into sonship. Listen, I, I don't say this a lot, but I believe this stuff can change your life. So, so please make time uh, out of your busy schedules if you've missed some of that, or maybe you were here, go listen to it again. Amen? I've been hanging out in this world for a few years, and I think every time I go look at it again, I get something new. So here's the, here's the basic idea. For the past few weeks, we've been unpacking this whole idea that even though every single one of us were born with an orphan heart, it's not God's desire nor his will for us to remain there. Can I get an Amen. 
Listen, it's for no other reason than this, that God knows that an orphan heart carries with it orphan thinking, which produces orphan behavior. I want to say that again, that he knows that an orphan heart carries with it orphan thinking that produces orphan behavior. And see, God knows that if all of that's left unchecked in our lives, what happens is it begins to affect every relationship that we deeply care about in a negative way. It is impossible to remain in an orphan heart and not have your relationship with your, your spouse, with your kids, even with your friends, with your parents, and even, you know, just, even just some random people, your employers, your employees. Every relationship, and most importantly, your relationship with God will be affected in a negative way. And see, God also knows that it doesn't stop there. He also knows that if you live from an orphan heart, that it will ultimately affect basically the way you see yourself. Right? And, and basically what that does is when you see yourself as an orphan, it causes your identity and your God-given purpose to also be impacted in a negative way. And so, so this is stuff, I say that because, because it affects every area of your lives. Every, literally, every breathing, waking moment, it affects your life. And so I think God sees uh, this as something that's significant, as important, and I believe we should too. Yeah? So, so listen, God's solution or God's antidote for bringing healing, for bringing victory, you know, in this era of our lives can really all be summed up to one word instead. I've said it for weeks, but it's the word called displacement. That God literally wants to come and he wants to displace or unseat the orphan mentality in our hearts by revealing to us what we're talking about now, the true nature of sonship. Okay? And so let me just kind of say this again. I'm just trying to bring everybody up to speed. Basically, displacement happens through three ways. Number one, it happens by experiencing the unconditional love of God. That, listen, in our lives, God was never meant to be just somebody that we had some intellectual knowledge about. He is a God that we can experience and we can encounter. And when you encounter God, you encounter the love of God because he is love. Amen? The second thing is this, and if I can maybe stretch say this, if your encounter of your experience is going to last, it must be founded, it must be partnered with a true revelation of God's word that this, number two, that God is a perfect loving father. We got to believe that in our hearts, that God is good, amen, that he is good, that his nature is good and his plans and intentions and heart for us is good as well. And number three is this, is that we have to understand because God is loving, that he loves us and accepts us and is pleased with us for no other reason than this, we're his kids, Amen? That we're his kids. That's great news. So, so it's kind of like this. All of these three things simply do this one thing. They help us reposition our hearts to sonship, but they also help us to do this. Those things give us the ability basically to be healed and to get victory over our past hurts, our past wounds, you know, our past disappointments, hang-ups, however you want to word it. These things help basically us, us obtain victory in our lives. Don't act like that's good news. Okay? <laughs> Listen, for the, for the past two weeks, I have, I have just opened up my heart, shared pieces of my journey. You, you know, the reason I do that, and, you know, for no other reason than this, I'm a pretty intentional fella, is because of this. I, I figure, man, if, if I'm not willing to get vulnerable with you, how can you guys ever get vulnerable? So, so there's this part, guys, that, man, I, I've been part of ministries where I felt like people didn't know how to get vulnerable. They didn't know how to get honest. And I try my best to display that in front of you because I, that's, that's freedom. Right? There's, there's not a whole lot of freedom in putting a mask on and living in bondage and acting like you got to put a show on for everybody. So let's just be who we are. Amen? 
so anyway, so I've been talking about my journey, and, and today I want to share a few more thoughts, maybe not as intense as the past two weeks. But before we do, let me kind of bring everybody up to speed what we talked about last week. I know there's a lot of recap here. But if you were here last week, you might remember this. We talked about why Jesus came. You, you know, a lot of times when we ask the question, especially once again around the Christmas time, you, you know, there's like this amplified message on why Jesus came. Most of the time, people's automatic answer in that area is this, that Jesus came to save us from our sins. That's true, right? But the overarching truth and the reality of it, if you can, if you, when you really begin to understand the heart of God, you see this. You see that Jesus came to a world that was full of orphans, which you and I are a part of, to do what? To reveal what we needed the most, the Father. That's why Jesus came, right? So, so when we pull back and we look, and there's plenty of scriptures that, that prove this out, but, but it's this simple fact that our sin was nothing more than the one thing that was separating us from having a relationship with the Father, See, see, so often in church, we put all the focus on the sin, and the sin is not the focus. The sin is what he came to get out of the way so he could just walk with us and know us. And, and so what happens is, is when we get in churches that are legalistic and religious, all they want to tell us is basically this sin, 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 and you have such a sin conscious. Well, the problem is sin conscious just causes you to, you to keep on sinning. But when you get a God conscious, that man, God loves me, guess what? Now I want to rise above the sin. Why? Because I'm enjoying the relationship with him, so why would I want to mess it up? Right? So, listen, so when we take a look, once again, at the life of Jesus, here's the point that I love about Jesus. Because he, he made this point again and again and again. In other words, he said this, that every word that he ever spoke, that every teaching or sermon he ever gave, that every act of kindness or miracle that he ever did or performed, however you want to word it, it was for simply one reason. It was so he could reveal the Father's true nature, the Father's true heart, the Father's true character to all of humanity. So good. You know, we said last week, by doing this, he did two things. He not only revealed and restored true fatherhood to the human race, but he also came and he erased every bit of doubt that you and I would ever have about what the father is like. In other words, when we look at Jesus, we see the perfect picture of, what, of who the father is, right? And so often, I think in church, we live our lives like, man, Jesus was this amazing guy that we all stand in awe of, but the father, his disposition is completely different. He, he's kind of ill, Right? No, I mean, sick. He's just in a bad mood. And, and so what happens is, is, when, is when you become so sin conscious, that's the way you view him. Right? And so the thing is, Jesus came and said, nope, nope, look, look, guys, here's the way the Father really is. All these Pharisees, they got it so wrong. But this is how he is. Let me show you how I interact with him, and I'll show you what he's like. It's good news, right? It's pretty freeing, in my opinion. So anyway, so let's shift gears here, okay? Because, because that wasn't the only thing. This is where we're going today. That wasn't the only thing Jesus came to reveal. In other words, Jesus didn't just come to reveal the Father. He also came to reveal true sonship. He came to reveal true sonship. So there was a dual purpose in Jesus coming. Dual purpose sounds like I'm limiting him so much. But, but in, in essence, what we're talking about today, that's it. All right? So let me give you a few foundational scriptures. Here's the biblical truth of who Jesus is. Basically, who Jesus is, I want you to see this, that basically God the Father affirmed him in this, or affirmed us in this. This is Mark 1.11. And uh, it says, Then a voice came from heaven, it's when Jesus was baptized, saying, You are my what? Son. You are my son whom I love. I am well pleased with you. I love that. My son whom I love. Then, once again, this truth was affirmed again by his disciples in Matthew 16. It says, He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son 
of the living God. And here's what's so beautiful. So yeah, it, yeah, it's God. Yes, yeah, the people that are the Father and his people that hung out with him. But even the demons recognized it. Look, look at this in Mark 3. It says, whenever the evil spirits saw him. Get that. Whenever they saw him. So there was a lot of seeing Jesus, right? They fell down before him and cried out, you are the Son of God. And then I love the fact that even when Satan tempted him, what was the first thing he brought up about Jesus? He could have brought up 100,000 things about Jesus. But the first thing he said, the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And lastly, and probably most importantly, even Jesus himself declared this truth in Luke 22. He said this, and they all said to him, this is Pilate, the teachers, all the religious folks. They asked, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, yes, I am. So the only thing I really want to show you through, through this is simply this, that, that all those people in the natural realm and in the supernatural realm, that they recognized and they honored and they acknowledged, they knew, whatever word you want to use there, who Jesus was and is, the Son of God. So simple, I know. Now, here's what's so humorous, okay? When God began to open my eyes to basically this orphan versus sonship stuff, like most of you in the room, when we read those verses, none of that was a newsflash to me. You know, it's like, thanks, Captain Obvious, right? But listen, I, you know, I knew Jesus was the Son of God. I knew his role. I knew his place in the Trinity. You, you know, to be honest with you, you know, listen, I had, I had taken and taught college classes on the life of Christ and, and pat myself on the back. I even made an A-plus in systematic theology. Right? Yeehaw, right? Um, but listen, in spite of all my study and how smart I thought I was, when it came to how basically Jesus related and how Jesus interacted with the Father, I gotta be honest, I wasn't even close to the complete picture. Wasn't even close. And here's what's so wild is that is this is because for years all I could think about was in Jesus' interaction with God the Father was this. This is what I focused on. It was two words, submission and obedience. I kind of said that last week. But all I focused on was submission and obedience. And, and I perceived Jesus' level of submission and obedience. Don't miss this. I missed Jesus' level of submission and obedience as the key that unlocked the door to his power and authority that he walked in, which ultimately allowed him to perform all those miracles that he did, all those miracles I stood in awe of, right? And uh, now, now listen, is that true? Yes, it's true, okay? Uh, but here's where I was off base. But because when you live from an orphan heart and you live from a performance mentality like I was doing on accident, uh, you, you know, I did what you expect. I, I strived really, really hard uh, to match that same level of submission and obedience, hoping that I could get the same results. Does that make sense to you? You, you, you know, when I was in Bible school, you, you know, it's almost they taught, man, if you fast more and if you pray hard, if you scream loud enough and you get yourself amped up enough, you go lay hands on somebody, something will happen. And, you know, and, and, and graciously, you know, things did happen. People did get healed. God did do awesome things. But, but here's what happened when, when all this began to unfold for me, that the Holy Spirit really began to open my eyes basically to, to my true motives, <laughs> Right, and and what he what began to happen is he began to show me. Don't miss this, please. This is really important. That that he began to show me the position and the posture, the position and the posture that Jesus lived from that allowed all those amazing things to happen. And and here's the main verse. I read this the other day. There was many things that happened in this verse. I'm just giving you kind of like small pieces of this journey. But but the main verse that that the Holy Spirit used in this area was Luke two forty nine. It says this, 
It says, and he said to them, let me rewind, kind of bring you about speed. Remember, this is Jesus, 12 years old in in Luke chapter 2. They've been going to the temple for years and years and years. In fact, every year of his life, Joseph and Mary and and then the kids that came after Jesus, they they would go and they would present their offering and make sacrifices and all that stuff. And and it says that basically when the the feast had ended, they rolled out of town and they got basically a day in the journey and they realized Jesus wasn't with them. That's so many people in the church, might I add. They, they, they leave Jesus at church. <clears throat> That's another sermon another day. All right, anyways, so, so they, they get, you know, a day, day's journey down the road. They realize, man, where's Jesus? The Bible says that they begin to look around their friends and, and their acquaintances, and they couldn't find Jesus. And, and it says that basically they backtrack, and on the third day, they, here they go. They find 12-year-old Jesus sitting there in the temple talking to the Pharisees and, the, and basically the teachers of the law, and he's answering and asking questions, and they were amazed at his understanding. And, and here goes Mary. This blows my mind away. Is she goes up, and she decides to uh, basically, uh, the words leave me right now, but basically get on to him, right? How could you do this to us? And, and, and Jesus simply says this, and he said to them, why did you seek me? If you have your Bible, underline that, please. And, and, and make an honest search in that question for yourself. Why do you seek him? That was free. Let's go back. Here we go. It says, did you know, did you not know that I must be about my what? Father's business. Please don't miss this. I mean, be about my father's business. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? L- listen, I don't know how many times I had read that verse before this moment, but in that moment, it was as if the Holy Spirit highlighted and he separated those two words. I saw in one category, father, and then I saw business. And, and here's basically, by that single separation, here's what I saw. I saw the difference between mine and Jesus' life. Now, let me explain. In other words, I instantly saw that because Jesus knew his position or his identity as a son, that the posture he lived from always put the father first and the business or ministry second. Now, now listen, uh, you know, the other thing I realized is that all of the business or all the ministry that you and I stand in awe of that Jesus did, what I understood in that moment, it was nothing more than, you know, that three and a half years was nothing more than an overflow of his intimate walk with the Father. And, and so, and listen, while that's a no-brainer, tr- truthfully, this concept here was diametrically opposed to how I was living my life. And, and it was simply because of this, because my inward view, I, I viewed myself as a slave or a servant, right? I view him as a master, as an angry God, right? So my posture always placed what I thought was God's business first, right, before anything else. And, and the thing is, it's not that I didn't want relationship. I did want relationship. In fact, I, I had a relationship, just not to the fullest of what was available. You know, I just said it this way. I was just, I was just too caught up and too busy trying to figure out what more I could do for God, right, because that's what I was taught. What, what more can you do for him? And, and so when you get caught up in what more you can do for him, guess what? You, you begin to put business or ministry way before relationship. And, and let me tell you how it, how it goes out. If there's anybody here who wants to go into ministry, here's where it begins to show up. It's because you can't read the Bible without thinking a sermon that you got to preach. And you get a nugget, and the first thing you do is, is you see it for somebody else and not yourself. And, you know, I've said it before. In other words, you begin to read the Bible uh, once again and, and not let the Bible read you. <laughs> Makes sense? In other words, you read it for a sermon instead of letting it evaluate who you really are and letting things come out of the overflow of your own life. And that's really easy to do. It, it, you know, tr- truthfully, 
Here, I'll say it this way. We, we live in a culture that spends three and a half years of preparation for 30 years of ministry, and Jesus spent 30 years of preparation for three and a half years of ministry. And the reason is because he put Father first. If you need another verse to kind of grab a hold of this, you, you know, even, even when Jesus calls us in Matthew 4, 19, he says, Come follow me, relationship, and I will make you, secondary, fishers of men. Right? Listen, it is so easy in life to get caught up in the busyness of it that, you, that relationship takes the second seat to ministry. And ministry, uh, let me help everybody out here. Ministry doesn't mean this. And a stage, ministry is just what your assignment is, what God's called you to do. In other words, you can get so caught up cutting hair, doing whatever you do, you, you know, in life, that, that you forget to spend time with Jesus. And, and you think that that somehow makes up for relationship. Right? So, so it's simply this. You know, while, while we, when we're people who are very passionate, you know, about doing things for God, everybody looks at us and goes, wow, that guy has passion. Right? And so it definitely looks like that on the outside. But the problem is, at least in my, my circumstance, the Holy Spirit began to reveal my motives, like I said a while ago, which was this. Is in my heart, I believed that if I could do God's business well enough, then hopefully I could obtain what I was really longing for. And once again, I've been saying this for weeks. That I was hoping I could get what? The love and the acceptance of a father. Because once again, when you don't have that from your own home life, then you're going to try to get it somehow. And if you thought you had to earn it then, you're going to think you have to earn it now. Yeah? So, so I, you know, if I can maybe just ask you a question. Isn't it amazing sometimes how we can sometimes think that our works equal relationship? Y'all agree with that or not agree with that? It, it's so true. In other words, it, you know, it's, it's like we... At the end of the day, we, we, you know, slap a badge on our chest and say, yeah, we, we accomplished this. And Jesus just like, did you hang with me? Yeah. Right? So, anyways, I think this, that um, when we begin to realize the futility of our efforts, you know, we'll realize this. We'll realize that what we think is business is really nothing more than religious busyness. And there's a lot of religious busyness. We're all guilty of it. Yeah? And so, and so it's simply this. So when you understand that our busyness, what that does is, is it just leaves us feeling tired. It does. And, and what happens is if we're honest, you know, we, it's so easy to put a show in front of people. God, it's so easy. Church people are some of the fakest people on the planet. Smile at you. And, and, but because what happens is, is that they can be so fake in front of everybody else, but on the inside, there's such an unrest and disappointment. And, and unfortunately, they're disappointed not because of who God is. They're disappointed because they got their priorities wrong. And they ultimately think it's God, and it's not God. God's awesome. Right? I mean, just, just, go, just go worship for a bit by yourself and, 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 and tell me if you ain't awesome. Is there a better place than just getting to hang out with him? There's not. There's not. So, anyways, here's the point that I want you to see. I, I, w- I want all of us to see that the position and the posture that Jesus lived from was simply sonship. That the posture and the position that he lived from was simply sonship. Kind of give you a few thoughts here. 
what happened was, is when I began to take a step back and I began to evaluate the difference between my life and Jesus' life, I began to realize that in Jesus' life, that, it, that his life flowed from a place of intimacy with the Father and not from works for the Father. Okay, it came from intimacy with the Father, not works from the, or for the Father. And I also saw that Jesus' life was established on his identity as a son and not the things that he did or didn't do. In other words, it wasn't based off his performance. You keep repeating yourself. I keep repeating myself on purpose. <laughs> the last thing I saw is that Jesus' life was a continual transaction of giving and receiving love with the Father. Continual transaction, giving and receiving, going both ways of loving the Father. So watch this. This is, this is key, okay? All of this stuff that we're talking about, position and posture, what that does is, it, it, or what it did, is it allowed Jesus to do what's been coined as the, basically as the Father's mission. And the Father's mission is simply this. We'll throw it up. That the Father's mission was for him to experience. So Jesus to experience the Father's express love and to give it away to every person he met. Please let that sink in. To give it away to every single person. To, to, once again, to experience the love of God and to simply give it away to every person that we meet. I know that's simple, right? <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. Watch this. When I, when I saw that it was the love of God just simply this flow in Jesus' life, what I realized is that made the submission and the obedience that unlocked the authority and the power which ultimately made the miracles possible, but it also made it natural. And, and what I mean by that is this, is there was no striving involved. He wasn't begging and pleading for it. It was just simply extension of the Father's love. So, so in other words, when Jesus was at the well with a woman, I'm just throwing something out here. When he was at the, with the woman in the well, I think it's John 4, and, and he's sitting there, you know, and he gets a word of knowledge about, you know, basically her life. You know, hey, you know, you've been married this many times, and, and uh, the man you're living with right now, th- that wasn't, he wasn't browbeating uh, brow her. There we go. It was just simply this. It was the love of God in action. Right? It, it was a, so literally every time he spoke, every time, you know, even, even this sense, well, well, you know, he went and, you know, flipped some temple tables. It's the love of God in action. Uh, see, a lot of times what we miss is, is the Bible says he disciplines those he loves. And it says that if you're not disciplined, then you're, then you're basically an illegitimate child. Right? And so there's things that Jesus will do that looks like, Discipline, but the heart behind it is love because he's trying to get us to revert to see the Father, right? So, anyways, if you can maybe jot this down, if I could put all this another way, basically Jesus taught us this, is that the, the, the great commandment always precedes the great commission. The great commandment always precedes the great commission. What is that? We know the great commandment is to do what? To, to, to love the Lord thy God with all the heart, mind, soul, strength, right? That's the great commandment. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so th- that is the great commandment, and the great commission is go into all the world. Once again, he's showing us that that comes first. If I can put it in a more simple way, it'd be simply this, that intimacy always precedes fruitfulness. That was worth your price of admission. Intimacy always precedes fruitfulness. If you're a person here that has kids, then you know that's true. Intimacy 
always precedes fruitfulness. And what happens is, is a lot of times we try to get fruit without intimacy, and it doesn't work. Or it doesn't last. Amen? So let me give you a few more things, and, and we'll wrap up here shortly. Another thing that happened when I began to look at the life of Jesus, and once again, you, you know, I just challenge you to go do it. Just go look at the Gospels. Read the Gospels, and I want you to notice how Jesus never, not once, operated out of an orphan heart. He never, he never had orphan thinking. He never had orphan behavior. You know, it was completely absent. And, and the reason I'm saying this is because, is because his life is so opposite than the things we struggle with. And, and what we forget sometimes is that's what we've been called to. Do you get what I mean by that? We've been called, uh, you know, the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.21, it says that Jesus came to give us an example that we should follow in his steps. And what I love about the word example there, it actually means, uh, you know, when you're a little kid and you, and you can't draw that good, you, you know, you get the really good picture and you slap your piece of paper on top of it and then you start tracing it. That's what that means. That basically means that you trace the letters of and so, and so what happens is, is he's saying that, that our lives basically supposed to be a, a mere reflection of what Jesus walked in, right? Once again, he came to reveal sonship. So let's just go real quick, and to be more specific, to go back a few weeks ago and talk about the orphan heart. And I want you to notice that these things that you never saw in Jesus' life. So no, notice that we, we never saw Jesus striving and performing to earn the Father's or another person's love and acceptance, that's so freeing right there. Yes, you, you never saw Jesus striving for it. You, you never saw Jesus, you know, having a fear of trusting. He didn't have a fear of rejection. He didn't have a fear of correction. You know, he didn't have a fear of opening his heart to receive love, and he didn't struggle with expressing his love in an unconditional way. He wasn't constantly agitated with people who didn't think like him. Can I get a well, well? He didn't see others as potential threats to his success. His thinking wasn't negative. He wasn't constantly frustrated, angry, wasn't argumentative, wasn't restless, wasn't depressed. He wasn't emotionally out of balance. He wasn't defensive, insecure. He wasn't independent. He wasn't competitive or emotionally detached. Uh, He didn't struggle with the feeling of uh, being safe or secure. Uh, He didn't wonder if he was being loved, valued, or affirmed. He didn't have identity issues that caused him to believe he had to argue, wrangle, and fight for anything and everything he wanted to accomplish in life. Yeah? And, and what's so amazing is, is man, if we're so honest, it's like how, how, how much of ourselves do we see in that description? It's ugly, isn't it? Yeah? And, and so rather what happens is when you look at the life of Jesus, you actually see the polar opposite. That's what I love about Jesus. You actually see him walking in what the Bible calls the spirit of sonship to perfection. You know, so what is sonship? And this is actually from a guy named Jack Frost. Um, Jack Frost coined sonship as this or defined as this. It says, sonship is a heart that feels at rest and secure, I'll say, in the Father's love. It believes it belongs. It is free from shame and self-condemnation. It walks in honor toward all people, and it is willing to humble itself before man and God. And it is subject to God's mission to experience his love and to give it away. You're going to keep hearing that. Am I making sense? Is that not a better picture of Jesus than the first one? 
So, so listen, I, you know, I, I know that, you know, most people, and of course, when I first started to understand this, my, my thing was, well, yeah, that's Jesus. Has anybody ever did that? Y'all look at here. Hey, man, that's Jesus. You know, Jesus had something different. <coughs> and, and, and so, you know, I want to share something with you, just simply this. Before you blow this off, I want you to have this simple thought in your head. I want to encourage you to consider this. And in John 17, 17, Jesus prayed something. It's about midway through his prayer. Uh, he prayed this. He prayed that you and I would know that the Father loves us in the same way and as much as he loved him. And put that in, ter- in different terms. That he wanted you and I to know that the Father loves us as much as he loves Jesus. Wow. Right? Because in our natural thinking, we go, well, Jesus is all up here. He really loves me. And, and we're, we, you know, we, we get this lesser. No, 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 no. It, he loves us as just as much as he loves Jesus. That's amazing. That's freeing. Yeah? And, you know, once again, it's not based off performance. I keep saying all that for a reason, right? So, so here we go. If the, you know, to help us understand this, let me show you what the Father did for us. Actually, uh, go ahead and turn to Romans 8, and we'll read in a second. Turn to Romans 8. I didn't, I didn't give it to the guys in the back. Just kind of going over some notes today and threw a few more things in. But Romans 8, Romans 8, we're going to go to verse 14. If you're there, say, oh, yeah. If you need a second, say, oh, no. All right. All right, let me show you this verse real quick on the screen. Let me show you what the Father did so you and I would know that we're loved just as much as Jesus. Look at this. This is Galatians chapter 4. This is the Passion Translation. It says, And so that we would know for sure that we are his true children. Get that. We would know for sure. It says, God released us what? Come on, talk to me. Release what? The spirit of sonship. Man, I love that. He released the spirit of sonship. In other words, everything that Jesus had, everything that Jesus enjoyed, he released it to us. And then it said where? He released it into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately. Most translations say Abba, which is the Aramaic. We know it's the most intimate term for Papa, Daddy, Father, God, right? That, that it says literally that the Spirit cries out intimately, My Father, you are our true Father. It says, Now we're no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. And because we're His, we can access everything our Father has. Get that. Because we're his, we can access everything that the Father has. For we are what? Heirs of God through Jesus the Messiah. Now look at Romans real quick. Romans 8 verse 14. It says, For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the, should say, mature sons of God. And then it says in verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Praise God for that. Right? It says, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And it says, if indeed we suffer with him, we might teach on that sometime, that we may also be glorified together. Can I give you one more verse? Go to Luke 15. Luke chapter 15. We're going to land on verse 31. I just want to want you to understand what's available here. That, that you know, in this story, this is obviously the, the Jesus is teaching on the parable of the prodigal son. Once again, our picture when we came to salvation is really the, the, the kid that wanted his inheritance, went and squandered it, came back. We know that when he came back, what, the big brother was ticked off, right? Yeah? 
The big brother was mad because basically, here's what's so interesting is neither one of them knew sonship. Neither one of them understood it. And so, you know, once again, another day, another time. But I want you to see this verse in verse 31. Here's the fact. Let me back up. Let's go to verse uh, 28. It says, but he, talking about the older brother, was angry and would, would not go out. In other words, he wouldn't come and have the party about his younger brother coming home. It says, therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. In other words, he's complaining, right? And the father says this, uh, says, but as soon, sorry, as the son of yours, in other words, he didn't want to be, you know, part, you know, whatever, even uh, identified with him. It says, as soon as that son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And what's the father's heart for all of us? And he said to him, son, that's you, that's me. You are always with me and all that I have is yours. Are you guys hearing me? It is hard to live from a poverty mindset when you know that all that God has is yours. Yeah? To understand that that's the Father's love that's saying everything I got, man, is, is for you. So watch this. So while we're in the spot, in fact, let me, let me maybe get ahead of myself here a little bit. Um, I want you to notice something. Did you, did you realize that the Bible says in the last days that God will pour his spirit out on who? Sons and daughters. Not servants, not slaves. Sons and daughters. And to even understand this, if I can kind of show you, you're already in Luke there. Turn, turn to your left. Go to Luke 4. Luke 4. I'm going to show you kind of a piece here of what, of what sons and daughters do. All right? Verse 16. It says, So Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Y'all get that? Jesus' habit was to go to church. And stood up to read, and it says, And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Watch this. This is, this is for sons and daughters. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because I'm a son and a daughter, right? Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery uh, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. It says, then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, what, I love this, today... The scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's for us. Y'all really, say that's for me. Say that's for me. That's what we're called to do, guys. Right there. That's what we're called to do. So let me, while we're in this spot, and, and we'll wrap up here, okay? Let me share with you a few more characteristics of sonship, just so you have a better understanding. And we'll throw it up here, and it's quite a bit, but we'll go for it here says, basically, when a person walks in sonship, they know the unconditional love that they're receiving is never based upon their performance. Rather, it's on the nature of the one freely giving it. That's good. They do not depend on their own gifts, talents, and anointing. Instead, they see the Father as their source that they gladly depend on. Do you guys realize in the Hebrew language, remember, Father means source. That's what it means. 
They are secure and confident in him. They value and see their need for the body of Christ. You understand that? You, you, can't, you can't see your need for God and not see your need for his people. They go hand in hand. Yes? Yes. The, even, even on the flip side, those people that are, that are so needy for everybody else, and you, and you go, man, I wish they would just connect with God, and they would, right? And then there's these people that, that it's like, I only need God. All I need is the Spirit of God. It's like, no, you need people too, homie, because you need to be balanced out. And I'm willing to say something to you, Jesus may not be. Anyway, so that was a joke. All right, so maybe not. And so um, Jesus will say it through me. There you go. Thanks, babe. So there we go. So they are secure and confident in him. They value and see their need for the body of Christ. And then a person who walks in sonship lives by the law of love rather than the love of the law. They serve out of a deep sense of gratitude for who God is. Get that. They serve, not out of duty, but out of a deep sense of gratitude. They have generous hearts. They see Christian disciples, uh, Christian discipline, sorry, as a source of delight and pleasure. In other words, it's not boxes to check, right? Rather than a duty that they must fulfill. They find comfort in God's presence. And a person who walks in sonship walks to be, uh, wants to be pure and holy because they don't want anything to hinder their relationship with the Father. They don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. If I can maybe add there, I, I, I personally have, uh, man, just a lot of beef on Christians who think that they can just go and sin, sin, sin because God loves them. And, and can, I, can I just kind of bring a balance to all this real quick? To understand that God loves me just as much as the crackhead under the bridge in whatever city you want to say, that's true. But, but to understand that God can love us but not approve of what we do. Because, because watch this. There is a love of God that we've been talking and talking and talking about. But there's this thing called the holiness of God that also comes into play in all this. And, and it's in the holiness of God. That's where, that's where you, you know, once again, my relationship, I can, I can, I can affect by my lifestyle, you, you know, my fellowship with God. Am I making sense to you guys? So, 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 you know, the, the balance side of this is, yes, understand God loves you, yes? But to understand, don't, don't mess up your relationship with him by the things you do, yeah. right? Because he can, he, he'll love, look, he, here's the God honest truth. He loves the worst sinner that's ever, that, that even hates him. He loves him just like this, right? He, he loves him. That's why he compels them to come. It's the goodness of God calls for repentance. But, but the love of God doesn't equal your salvation, Y'all don't shout me down now. That's truth, isn't it? Anyways, all right, watch this. So persons in sonship, they are teachable. Watch this, they're teachable and see correction as an opportunity to grow into maturity. And it's simply this, they're thankful for authority. What I mean by that, they're, they're thankful even for church authority. They're, they're, thankful for any, they're thankful for authority. They don't buck it. People with an orphan heart buck authority. Okay, And lastly, and they don't worry about their future, watch this, because they know they have an inheritance in their father. If, if I can maybe sum all that up with this, that's a healthy, mature believer. That's the goal, right? That's, that's the goal. All that stuff to, is, to, is just simply know our place in God and have a relationship with him and walk in, all right? So, so let me give you a few extra thoughts and we'll be done. Um, one of the takeaways that I want us to get from all of this stuff, I know y'all laughing at me because I said I'm done about three times. Um, <coughs> I, I'm trying to get you there. All right, so anyways, so, so a thought here, okay, is that this is where freedom comes, that we no longer have to strive for all the stuff that we've already received through salvation. 
That's what I'm trying to get us to understand, okay? We, we have a place at the table of God. You know, we're not, once again, we're not beggars. We're not, we're not you know, serving. We're not, you know, all those things. We're not trying to please him, okay? So all this comes down to, once again, position and posture. It's where we choose to be a son. But watch this. What you'll notice about Jesus is, yes, he chose to be a son, but at the same time, he chose to be fathered. And I think in our own hearts, we got to choose if we want to be fathered or not. And a lot of times when we grew up with bad dads or dads that basically uh, didn't express the love of God real well to us, it's hard to be fathered by God. But God wants us to choose to be fathered by him. And that's where you give access to him with all of your heart. And you say, God, I, I'm, I, there's a yes in my heart for whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to change, God, change it. I, there's a, I want to be fathered, and so that means I need relationship with you. It's hard to be fathered without relationship. Yeah, in other words, God has free reign to say whatever he wants to say in us. The, the next thing I want us to see is this, and I told you I'd repeat this again, 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 but John 20, 21 says this. It says, this is Jesus talking. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That's pretty awesome. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So often we look at that through the power gifts, but I want us to stop for a second and go, man, th- this is, if the Father sent him with the Father's mission, then what's our mission? It's simply this, it's to, once again, to experience God's expressed love and to freely give it away to every person we meet. And if that translates into the power, hallelujah. If it translates in simply just giving somebody a hug and 20 bucks, hallelujah. Right? Whatever the Father needs me to do, I'm just here to show the love of God. Right? And so wherever we go, whatever we do, it's it. It's the love of God. You you know, let me maybe say this, kind of a thought here, is... You know, uh, twice a week I go and I play soccer, right? I, I attempt to play soccer, <clears throat> give it my best go. Are you guys okay today? Y'all are all quiet. Yeah. Like I'm at a library. <laughs> so I go and I, you know, and I run around and play soccer. If there's any place, man, for an orphan spirit to show up, it's in a competitive atmosphere. And I have set it my, my absolute goal to do this. I'm going to play hard. And, you know, I'm going to play the best of my ability, but I will not, will not, will not mess up my moment to do the Father's mission. I'm out there to express love. If we're getting our brains kicked out, hey, man, great shot. Right? Hey, man, that was good. Good defense. Good save. Right? And, and you know, and that's, that's, what, we're going, that's what we're going to do. You, you know, it's so funny. The other, I have a you know, friend that's there that's a believer, and we're sitting in the middle of a game. If you don't think people pay attention. We're, we're sitting there in the middle of a game, and there's this guy from Jamaica that's on our team, and both of us are out the game at that moment because when you're, when you're uh, 40 years old, I think he's like 43, sometimes you need a break. <laughs> you know, we're a bunch of kids. And he looks at me, and I'm talking, we're, we're like second half, and he says, hey, and he says my friend's name, is he a, is he a Christian? And, and I said, yeah. And he goes, does he go to your church? Yeah. And then he said, uh, then he said I thought so. I could feel that peace from him. That's because it's the Father's mission in action, right? And not, we've got to win, even though that's fun too, <laughs> Right? But, but there's something, but, but the point is that God puts us in these places, right? Where, wherever you're at, he puts us in these places for a purpose, for a reason. And it's to reveal him. And the truth is, it's like, you, you know, whatever. I pick on Roger. Roger's a fisherman. Uh, I, I, I can't, 
I'm happy if I catch a, a, a bass, right? That man is killing it out there, right? Getting massive fishes. And, and the thing is, is, is he's going somewhere I can never go. And he's relating with people that I can never relate to. Sean's in the school over there. He's in Oceanside. Man, that's a school that really needs some Jesus, right? And he has a chance to go show the Father's expressed love. So once again, wherever you're at, whatever you do, you know, you guys that cut hair in here, it's like, man, what an opportunity. Anoint that head with oil. Bless God, Right? It's like, literally, wherever you go, whatever you do, man, it's an opportunity and because people need Jesus, right? So, so let, let me, let, let's close with this. This is real closing, all right? Is, uh, if, remember, if you go back to Luke chapter 4, once again, what's the first thing that the devil tempted Jesus on? He tempted him to question his sonship. And the reason he, he tempted him in the area of sonship is because his purpose was tied to his sonship, his purpose and his identity were tied together. And if he could get him to question or doubt or to walk away from his identity, then guess what? That would have messed up everything, everything that he came for. And so I, I just want to put this bug in your ear. That sounds so disgusting. But uh, <laughs> put this thought in your head, right, is this, is if that was the same for Jesus or if that was for Jesus, wouldn't it be the same for us? So, so where is he going to try to come and attack us the most? It's in the area of sonship. It's our identity. And obviously sonship is also daughterhood. You, you get that. And, and, so, and so it's the fact that that's, where he's going to, that's what he's going to attack, but also that's what he's going to try his best to keep us from realizing. Okay? So, so watch this. You have, you have a choice. Everybody look here, okay? You have a choice to sit back and just come every week and go, okay, what's he going to tell me about this? Or you have a chance to go dig it out and pray it out and, and study it out and get it in your own heart and let Jesus begin to change things in your life. Because if we grab a hold of that, holy smokes. Yeah? Yes? It, you, you know, the, the reason the grace message has been so powerful is because so many people live in the fact that, oh, 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 my God, I need the grace, I need the grace, I need the grace, right? And they're struggling. And then, you know, obviously there's people taking advantage of it. But if we could, if we could get out the ditch for a minute, and if we could not run to that ditch, and we could just hang out in the middle and go, man, this is sons and daughters, that yes, we're loved, but yes, we also value holiness, we're in the right spot. Amen? You stand to your feet, please. I just simply want to take a second to pray. And, um, and we'll release you guys. I do want to say this, that if you're here today and you've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, um, you'll never have the opportunity to walk in sonship because sonship begins through salvation. So if you don't mind, just, uh, I tell you what, just grab the hand of the person next to you today. Just pray with me. Father, we thank you today for just your presence. And, Lord, we thank you for your love. Uh, Lord, we're just asking God, not only for ourselves, but, God, for our, uh, just our friend, our family member that's to our right and to our left. God, maybe it's even someone we never even met until today. Uh, Lord, we're just asking today, God, that you would somehow, some way, as only you can, begin to break off all the, all the lies of the enemy, all the ways he would try to entangle us and to believing something different than what is true, getting us to see ourselves, uh, you know, different than how you see us and, and, and getting us to see you different than, than the way you want to be seen. Lord, we realize that, 
that that was the that was the number one trick in the Garden of Eden was to try to confuse Adam and Eve to see the Father not as being good but seeing Him as something different as evil. And so, Lord, today we're just asking God that that the enemy, God, and all of his lies would just be rebuked and, and removed from us today. And, Lord, that there be a true freedom to know who you are and a true freedom to know who we are. And, Lord, we thank you today that that produces, God, a confidence in us that, that uh, you know, really just that we need to walk with you. And so, Lord, today, thank you for just coming and touching every one of our hearts, touching every one of our minds today just with a revelation of sonship revelation of our true identity in you and lord all that's available and lord thank you for uh you know for helping us to realize that there's not some large gap between us and jesus we god we're co-heirs we're joint heirs and uh lord once again that you love us like you love him and so today would you just give us i know you know people use the language but god is so true would you come and give us a baptism today of just baptism of your love and just a release of once again a release of sonship in our hearts In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.